Hmm. So Lori mentioned uh, just a moment ago, and some of you were able to join us on Wednesday night for uh, our Ash Wednesday reflective space. But, uh, but this is the first Sunday in the season of Lent. Lent is the 40-day journey where we lean into the wilderness with Jesus in preparation. It's a purifying time. It's an honest time. We come to grips with our own frailty as we remember Jesus' humanness uh, for the purpose of surrender, for the purpose of, of saying we want to join Jesus in his humanity and in ours and to be honest about the brokenness and the need so that we can fully receive the gift that we celebrate on, on Easter Sunday. And so Lent becomes, and in some of our traditions it hasn't been a big deal. In mine it was never. In mine it was just like Sunday, 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 and then Easter. Sweet. It was great. And then Sunday, 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 for like until Christmas Eve, and then Christmas, and then a bunch of more Sundays. So there, I didn't grow up in a seasonal church um, like we have become because we found so much meaning in it. But, uh, but the season of Lent provides opportunities for us in some really, really unique ways. Uh, and, and it can often be a very heavy time. And that's okay. It's okay. Uh, you know, this idea of, of walking in the wilderness and, and sharing our longings with God and stripping down what gets in the way. Um, but linked with our own brokenness in our story is the important whisper of God's wholeness in the middle of our brokenness, of Jesus coming, of Jesus even before the Passion Week, Jesus coming and inaugurating the kingdom of God um, and, and healing the world. So what we're going to do for the next six weeks is we are going to look at the healing stories in the Gospels. Not all of them. We're just going to pick six. And we're going to sit with Jesus healing people, and we are going to let that speak to the ways in which God, we're going to, to, to springboard from that as metaphor, to the ways in which God longs to heal and make whole us and the world, okay? And so this is, this is a technique that has been used by rabbis for many hundreds of years at the time of Jesus. You would look at the scriptures and you would say, what was being said, but also what was the big picture? Everything represented something else, right? And so, so, um, you know, for example, Jesus, when he fed the 5,000, was a glimpse at the Exodus story of God giving manna to people, right? So it was both. It was a moment here, but it also represented something big, and that represented God's provision. So that's the kind of thing we're going to do. So we're going to play with the scriptures a little bit, um, and, uh, and we're going to look at the moments of healing. So each story gets to be a launching point, point. Um, and, uh, and it's going to be fun, but we're going to jump right in because I want to have some dialogue afterwards here. And so the story, the story that we're going to use today is from the book of John in chapter 5. And, uh, and let me just say that this story is going to make us uncomfortable because every time I look at this and every time I work through it, it makes me uncomfortable. Um, because uh, have, you ever, has, have you ever been asked a question by someone, by, by a trusted person? Trusted, that's really important because we're talking about a safe place here but by a trusted person, and you really, like, it feels, it feels insensitive, but you know it's a good question. <laughs> like, it's an annoying question from, from someone you love, and it's not really accusatory. It just opens up something that you're not, that you just are like, ah, I don't really want to answer that, but I know it's a valuable question. 
Lent is a great season for hearing Jesus ask us these sorts of questions. And Jesus asks a question to somebody else that kind of, I think, can fall into this. So, so uh, we're, we're in chapter 5. Jesus of, of the book of John, Jesus has come onto the scene. People are beginning to believe um, there are signs that Jesus is doing that is starting to gather a crowd around him, all right? So people are beginning to say, this man is, is unique, it's special. They didn't know who he was. Some people thought he was a prophet, whatever, miracle worker. He's beginning to heal people. He turned water into wine, which was a big sign um, in, in John 2. And all of this stuff is, is, is starting to happen, and there's, there's this, this momentum that's beginning to build. At the exact same time, there's a growing tension between him and the religious elite of the time, the gatekeepers of the Jewish religion, because Jesus is doing things uh, and speaking about the kingdom of God that relates to people who would be seen as unclean or outside of the bounds of God's blessing, okay? So that's where we're coming. So uh, Jesus is going up to Jerusalem. We're getting into Jerusalem now for one of the Jewish festivals. Uh, It says in in verse 2, Now, there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five colonnades. All right, colonnades are are like um, little, like porches, kind of entranceways. Um, So they were just marking what... Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Now there's this little mark, this little notation... And it says chapter 4, and it's in parentheses in most of our, in most of our Bibles. Because for some of you, if you're really familiar with this, you know that the next line in this story is that the reason that people came to this pool was because every so often, an angel would stir the waters, and whoever was the first person in would get healed. Now, here's the thing about that. That actually wasn't in any of the earliest manuscripts. That was in a margin later. And as almost an, an explanation, a descriptor. But we have no historic evidence that this actually happened. In, in Jewish history. No, no markers of angelic waters that were healing, anything like that. So, so nearly all conservative and progressive liberal scholars and, and ancient rabbis, they pretty much all agree that this was a superstition, okay? Which, which in many of our Bibles was not hinted at at all. We just assumed that this actually happened and that there's this angel that would come down every so often and stir the waters. But we don't have any evidence of that. So probably this was something that was just a hope upon a hope, and somebody once said this happened, and great, and so, so anyways, um, so uh, it would have been living water. This is just a little fun history. Um, a mikvah for Jewish, a Jewish bath um, that was for ceremonial cleansing was only able to, to be a mikvah if it had living water. Living water meant running water, okay? So what that meant is that so often, uh, you couldn't just have a pool and fill it with water. It had to have water coming in and water going out. It had to stay fresh. Right. So living water came from a spring or from some source of running. So they would have taken an upper pool that was a holding place and opened like a little like baby aqueduct or something like that to let water come down in. And likely, whenever they released that water, it would hit, it would bubble up. This is the moment. So we don't know. This is all conjecture. Not, not totally necessary for the story, but necessary enough. Okay, so this is where we're at. This is what's going on. Here, um, a great number of people used to lie. Like I said, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. uh, Verse 5. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Let me just pause. I'm I'm 39 right now. I'm just about to hit 40. Since I was one and a half, dealing with an ailment that made it impossible for me to walk or function, 
Just imagine that. 30, we're talking about four decades. Four decades. A lifetime for many Jewish people. A lifetime. Um, now, number 38 is significant, but we'll see if it's worth it to talk about that later. But, uh, but, but this, is, this is the story. So Jesus comes onto the scene, and Jesus is looking around, and somehow he becomes aware of this man. I have a feeling because he asked who's been around the longest. I have a feeling. But who knows? And he looks around, and for some reason, he sees this guy. He's lying down. And, and uh, it says, when Jesus saw him lying there, and he learned that he had, so Jesus is doing some research, learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. He asked him a question. And he asks him the question, do you want to get well? Which, can we all agree, is horribly insensitive. Horribly insensitive. And we, we all joke, but we all think it. Like, can you imagine? Can you imagine if you've been suffering for a long time and someone says, you want to get better? <laughs> Be like, no. No, I love it here. Yeah. It's, it's great not being able to function fully. I recommend it. So, so at, at first glance, when I'm looking at this story, all my own defenses go up, and maybe yours too. Jesus asks a man who's paralyzed, a man who cannot walk, who's been this way for four decades, do you want to get well? All right. And so, so this is the starting point, okay? But here's the thing. Here's the thing. He asks this guy, do you want to get well? By the word, the, the, the word for well is whole. So, so do you want to be made whole? All right? It's, a word, it's, it's the word that's often interchanged in, he, in Greek for healing. Do you want to be made whole? Um, which is where the roots of shalom are also there. Shalom is wholeness, right? Um, so that's going to come into play later. Do you want to be made whole? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Oh, did you see the picture? Sorry. That's, that's, the, that's where uh, most people believe the, the Bethesda pool was located at. So it's on multiple levels so that the water could uh, run from probably a small, a small gap here. And you can see some of the edges that they think are remnants from the colonnade. Um, so just to give you a little glimpse of what this would have looked like, um, possibly. So, so here's what he says. I have no one to help me when the pool is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. So I'm sitting here looking at this passage, and the thing that we can't help but notice is that when Jesus asks the man, do you want to get well? He does not answer the question. What does he say? He says, here's the reason that I can't. This is super important for us. I believe this story is in the scriptures for a very specific reason. Well, for about six very specific reasons, but we're going to talk about one of them today. When, when, when Jesus asks this guy a pointed question, do you want to get well? It seems so obvious, and yet the man's answer is, here's why I can't. Here's why I can't. He, he talks about the angels, right? No one is helping me. Some people are hindering me. Other people go, they're trying to get ahead of me. Uh, what, whatever. There's all of these, these things happening. And, and, and in the midst of it, this man is kind of placing his healing journey completely in the hands of someone else, of the other people who have hindered it or, or 
who have not, not helped him in some way. And, and Jesus is standing there asking him a question, and the ultimate resource for healing is standing right there in front of him. We can, this is, this is where it gets, it gets tricky. And by the way, we're going we're gonna to give a couple of uh, um, disclaimers in a little bit. So it's important that if you feel things rising up, like you don't, don't, uh, don't go there too much. Just receive this, this passage right now. Um, we can become incredibly attached to our pain. Incredibly attached to our pain. We can become incredibly attached to the narrative that we keep repeating for so many years, sometimes so much that the idea of having Jesus make us well or even being whole or simply becoming well isn't even where our mind goes when the question comes our way. Um, it's all about the reasons that we aren't well. We immediately, we, we, we have a temptation to explain why things are rather than engage with what co- could possibly be. Are there elements of that that ring true with you? American poet Carl Sandburg says that within me, there is an eagle that wants to soar, and there is a hippopotamus that wants to wallow in the mud. Within the same person, right? There is an eagle that wants to soar, and there's a hippo that wants to wallow. And, and, and so sometimes this can play a role. Do we want to be made well? If we are asked that question by Jesus, in any number of contexts, there are a lot of ways that we might respond. You don't know how badly this all hurt me. Okay, do you want to be made well? It's impossible to get traction in my life. I understand. Do you want to be made well? All these other people just don't get it, and they are making it so hard for me these days. I see. Do you want to be made well? I'm just frustrated, and I'm worn out, and I'm angry. I see. I feel it. Do you want to be made well? It's not my fault my arm is broken. My car was hit by some idiot. Yeah. Do you want to be made well? Restating why we cannot get better or only sending the focus back to why our pain occurred, if we're honest, neither of those things actually answers the question that Jesus asks of this man here. Neither journeys toward wholeness. Not fully. Now, there's a place for all of that. There's a place for naming the hindrances to our healing. There's a place for acknowledging the pain that brought us to whatever we might be wrestling with. Absolutely. But that's not the ultimate end goal, and we will never get to the ultimate end goal if we don't take time at the beginning of this whole season of Lent to sit with the question of Jesus, do you want to be made well? Um, Now, this does not suggest that Jesus lacks compassion. Because that's why I tried, it was, it was a cheap setup, but that's why I was trying to set you up at the beginning. I don't think this means that Jesus lacks compassion in any way. In fact, I think it's the opposite. I think it's in his compassion, Jesus longs to see new life emerge so much. And he knows that that has to start with willingness and with intention. Okay? When, when this man deflects his answer, notice that Jesus does not condemn him. He doesn't belittle him. He doesn't abandon him. There, there might be so many reasons that this guy can't answer the question. It might be even just too painful to even try to say. Like, at, at this point in his life, like, let's not be too harsh on this suffering person. But is it possible that in the midst of his pain, the man had actually lost any imagination for what any other life could look like? Perhaps the hope of healing was such a distant thing now, such a distant thing, that he had simply adjusted to a paralyzed life. And Jesus says, Hold on. 
I want you to search yourself and revisit what's possible. It sounds like you might be close to giving up. The cool thing is that the story does not end there. In fact, even with the non-answer, even with the non-answer, what we get, do you want to get well? Sir, I have no one to help me, he says. Then verse 8, then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. Jesus looks at him. In the midst of a guy who, whose immediate response was, I can't even answer that question. I'm just going to tell you why it's been so hard. And Jesus gives a word, igero. It means rise. And the cool thing is that it's the same root for resurrect. It's the exact same word that's used when Jesus rises from the dead. So he's not just saying, hey, you're healed. He's saying, I'm inviting you to rise up to new life. And that's, I think, incredibly, incredibly important because um, in, in the journey of restoring this guy, he's actually inviting him to a resurrected life. He's inviting him into something new. I think when, whenever we think about how we've been hurt or where whatever it is that you might feel like you're walking limp in your life, whatever that is, we imagine healing as being a return to what was. Now, this guy for 40 years isn't what was. I mean, nobody lived past at this point. I mean, the average age was like 43 so, so we're talking about his whole life. So there is no what was that he's being invited to. He's being invited, in, he's being invited into a new life, a new normal. So it's not restoring what was old. It's resurrecting something new. And I think that that's really important because um, for us too, whenever Jesus speaks healing, whenever Jesus invites us into a new journey, it's a journey that has never been taken before. It's not just returning to what was old. We, when we went through COVID and COVID just flipped our entire world upside down, it flipped our country upside down, and it flipped our church upside down, we realized that there was no reclaiming like the old reality. People are walking away different. Trauma has, has surfaced in new ways. Um, there, there's, a, there's a different reality in most people's lives on this side of it. And so to try to say, okay, what are all the programs that we used to do that we had to cancel that we're going to redo again? doesn't work. We need to think about what is God wanting to do next through and in our community. I find it fascinating that when Jesus rose, what do we know about his resurrected body? It was different, but it still had the wounds. So, so it's not leaving behind everything. It's still walking, but the wounds have been redeemed in different ways, and, and the body was different, and they're changed. So it's still a part of his story, but they give witness to the healing and the miraculous work of God. So Jesus tells this guy, be resurrected, pick up your mat. And he does. Now the cool thing is that when Jesus says, he does not, like I said, he doesn't say you're healed. He says, get up. And so the partnership of the man's action has to join in with the healing itself. Getting up. He has to choose to go from the ground to actually stand up. He is partnering in the healing that Jesus is initiating. And so, so there's all of this beauty. Now we're going to look at it from a, another angle in just a minute, but I want you to actually see this depicted because there's a scene um, in a show that many of you are aware of called The Chosen. Um, there's a scene of the Bethesda pool healing, and I think it's worth going into because when I was just toying around with the attitude of Jesus, I think this is one of the, the few depictions that shows the balance of incredibly deep compassion with a desire to actually help someone own up and move where there might be a need for it. 
And I, I think it's very, very difficult for us to imagine both of those things with a question like, do you want to be well? And so I'd like you to just watch this. It's about three minutes long, four minutes long, and, uh, and just dive into the story. But I wanted to tell it to you first so that you could see what the scriptures say because they, they have their own flavor of it here. But I think it, it does a faithful job in some, some really cool ways. So thanks, Sean. Shalom. Me? Yes. Shalom. I have a question for you. For me. I don't have many answers, but I'm listening. Do you want to be healed? Who are you? We'll get to that later. But my question remains. Will you take me to the water? <laughs> Look, I'm having a really bad day. You've been having a bad day for a long time. So? Sir, I have no one to help me into the water when it's stirred up. And when I do get close, the others step down in front of me. So, Look at me. Look at me. That's not what I asked. I'm not asking you about who's helping you, or who's not helping, or who's getting in your way. I'm asking about you. <laughs> I tried. For a long time, I know. And you don't want false hope again, I understand. But this pool, it has nothing for you. It means nothing. And you know it. But you're still here. Why? I don't know. You only need me. So, do you want to be healed? So let's go. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Ha, ha, ha.
I'm free to walk, like he said. Don't forget your bed. Why does this matter? Because you're not coming back here. That life is over. Everything changes now. I, uh... I find a lot of beauty in some of these depictions because it helps remind us uh, that there were more things than just what we see exactly right here. There were people milling about in these moments. We, we, we sanitize the Bible a lot sometimes with our, with our attitudes about it, and, and, uh, and we miss the humanness and the grittiness of, of some of these stories. Um, but I also think it's important that we, um, and by the way, it takes a lot for me to have any, like, compliments of art depictions of Jesus or the, the scriptures. I think there's a lot of bad B-rated art that's been done. Um, but I do, I do think that this can get our, uh, our creativity flowing. But the moment that we begin to talk about healing, there's a lot of things that begin to go up. So I want to address two things, and then I want to invite us to think about a couple questions as we, as we uh, lean into the season of Lent here. Um, number one is that... Uh, the, there's two unhealthy ways that a message like this can, can go when we're looking at a story like this. And the, the first one about do you want to be made well is what, what we call bootstrap theology. All right? Bootstrap theology means, hey, I just got to believe it. I just got to grit my teeth. And I just got to, like, claim my healing and work at it. And boom, it happens. Um, you know, do you want to be made well? Well, then get up and self-actualize, right? You can hear Tony Robbins, like, calling out to you through the back of this, this message. We're not just talking about self-help. Um, we're talking about an internal posture that we hold on to that relates to hope. If we long for healing, we will be more open to seeing the opportunities when God brings them along. Y'all know I love birds. Love them. Didn't always love birds. Wasn't always obsessed with, with noticing birds and seeing birds and photographing birds and everything. Um, but now I am. We, Bethany and I traveled to uh, Costa Rica for a five-day celebration of our, I think it was 10-year anniversary, about 10 years ago, um, before I had any interest in birds. And we had a wonderful time for five days. And you know what I didn't notice? I didn't notice one bird. Costa Rica is like the best birding place ever. And I look back at that now with longing and sorrow because I've changed the way that I look at the world. And right now, I, I will tell you which species were out there in the in the parking lot on my way in this morning just because I've learned to notice birds and their beauty and it's brought all this life to me. I, I love it. There's such interest there all the time. But here's the thing. If you aren't looking for something, then you won't see things when they're around. If we aren't looking for opportunities for God to bring healing and hope and renewal and newness and growth, we're not going to see them. It's just the way we work. It's the way that we function. Um, we, we have an active role to play and it's rooted in, in faith. Um, so, so there's this, this balance here of saying we have to begin to look and answer these questions and, and say there is a, a role of personal responsibility that we have in our own healing. There is a role of personal responsibility that, that we are required of, of getting up if we are going to move toward wholeness in areas where we feel like we are wounded, where we feel like we've been deeply hurt, where we feel like we are in need of healing. It does require something of us. Um, so are we willing to actually answer the question when Jesus asks it? 
And the second thing that we can go awry here is, is victim blaming. This is a huge problem, and we need to be really careful about this anytime we're talking about woundedness and healing. Victim blaming suggests that, you know, that they say, well, if you aren't healed, it's because you're not doing good enough, right? That's the, other, that's the other side of this. Jesus does not look at this man and say, yo, you should be crawling faster to get into that pool. Like, what is going on with you? He doesn't say that to him. He doesn't say, you know, this would have happened if you hadn't jumped off of that wall when you were seven, you know, when your parents told you not to and landed on your neck. Like, none of, none of that was a part of this, you know. Um, he, he doesn't look at the man with blame. Instead, I think the reason he is so moved with compassion to go to this guy is because he knows how much he has suffered. He seeks him out. Um, so these are the two things when we walk through this that we just need to be aware of. And there's a balance and a beauty that emerges when we can see that, um, that God redeems, right? And when we have faith that God is the one who brings redemption in new ways, brings opening, and, but at the same time, you know, we partner. So God brings redemption, but we have a role to play. So, we trust God, but we know that there's more to it than just, just sitting there and never getting up. Um, and, and, and that can open the door in so many ways. So trusting the Spirit's work in us and trusting to gently own our own story and own a hopeful future, both of those things can be true at the same time. Um, so, do you want to be made well? The pointed question that Jesus asks us is a very, very simple one. Um, and I think Jesus approaches us every day with this question, every single day. Maybe not just once, maybe throughout every single day. Do you want to be well? I can help you walk toward that, but you're going to need to get up with me. Um, and it's not an instantaneous moment. Don't you wish it always looked like that? Like, like we know. Like, let's not... I. I, it drives me crazy when people take a, a Bible story of a miraculous moment that was meant to inspire and to be a sign to the rest of the world that Jesus was the Messiah and say, so that's what happens, guys. <laughs> Walk out of here. You're going to be healed. It's not how God works most of the time. Can we just name that and be okay with it? It's not how God works most of the time. However, however, Jesus does invite us into a heart posture that makes true change, true healing possible. Um, but now, the, the funny thing is that the story doesn't end here. I, I, did I put, I don't know if I put the rest of the words up, but right after this, what happens? Yeah, all right. So he walks out. It says, the day on which this took place was a Sabbath, and so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Oh, man. So we're like back in the weeds again, right? This incredible moment, and what does the guy do? Jesus challenges him to own his healing and to not deflect, right? Do you want to be made well? All right, he heals the guy. And then they say, the law forbids you to carry back. Well, he told me to. This guy's still got a growth journey ahead, right? Like, there's still deflection immediately there. And you can interpret that passage in a lot of ways. But there's this, this idea of saying, like, you know, instead of saying, I was lame for 38 years. I have been healed. I am walking in free, in newness. And I don't care that it's the Sabbath day. Instead of that, he's like, well, that's... He told me to. And, and so then they, they, you know, ask him, who is it? And he didn't know who, who it was because Jesus was not trying to 
create a lot of um, focus on himself in this moment. But anyways, then Jesus comes back to him, finds him in the next verse. Um, he finds him at the temple a little bit later, says, hey, see, you're well again. Like, you're, you're, you're whole. Stop sinning or something worse can happen to you. Now, we can take that as this massive threat from Jesus, like, stop sinning or something worse will happen. Um, but I don't think that's the spirit that, that he's going for. I think what he's saying to this guy, you remember, sin means missing the mark. Hamartia means it, it's, an, it's an archery term, missing the mark. So he looks at him, he says, hey, don't miss the mark of what your healing is intended to lead you into. It's not just about your body. It's about the wholeness that I'm inviting you into. You're back kind of following all these, you know, or, or worried about the religious leaders or following these rules, like, like stop missing the mark. I'm, I'm trying to help you in a journey toward wholeness, you know? And so it's, it's this little nudge, a little kick, you know? Like, like, just a little encouragement of don't just, don't just walk away and say, hey, this, this moment happened. Nice, I'm going to go back to normal. So there's a challenge there. There's a challenge that says, hey, buddy, you're still on the journey. Um, and the fact that his well-being is a decision that must be reaffirmed as a way of life every single moment, but one moment at a time. Um, okay, so here's what I want to um, invite you to think about just a little bit in terms of... Um, when we ask the question, do we want to be made well, um, there's other questions that we can ask that'll help bring that to the surface. And here are some of them. Some of them deal with our, self, our, our own um, self-reflection, and some of them deal with our spirit awareness. So let's start with the, the spirit awareness stuff. Do you want to be made well? A journey toward that question, answering that question in the affirmative, here are, are questions that you can ask yourself that lead you toward a posture of saying, yes, I do. I want to be made well. What truth is God wanting to speak to me in my pain? Not the reason for my pain. I, we can talk about that later if any of you want to talk about that. I don't think God brings pain to teach us something. I think God works in the midst of our pain and can redeem anything. Those are two very different things. Because then one, God becomes the author of our pain. And that's not the God of goodness. Pain is a reality of the world and God works within it to shape us and form us and redeem it. Um, but what truth is God wanting to speak to me in my pain? What is the hope of God's kingdom? Can I name it? If I'm dealing with loss from abuse, um, from um, disappointed hopes, from a career that's not working out like I wanted it to, from uh, kids that are, are uh, very exhausting or frustrating to me and I'm worried about their, like, what is the hope of God's kingdom that is true in the midst of this? Can I name it? Can I, can I name what hope lies from what I see in Jesus? Or am I so focused on all of the things and all of the reasons that, that the bad things are happening that I can't even have that imagination? Um, and am I delighting in the peace of Jesus that's not circumstantial? So many times in the midst of our pain, we lose the promise that Jesus says, I don't give my peace like the rest of the world gives it. I actually give it supernaturally in the midst of your pain and discomfort. There is still peace available. There is still beauty available. You can be so crazy stressed out, everything in your life can be going wrong. And you can actually rest and delight in Jesus. You're still allowed. But more than that, it's possible. That's what we sometimes have trouble believing. So those are just questions that we can ask ourselves regularly. What, what, what might God want to speak to me? What is this uncovering? <laughs> and then self-awareness is very connected to this. But here's a couple. Where is my identity more defined by my pain than Jesus' invitation? All right? When I see myself, am I more defined on the things that I've gone through 
that have left me unable to walk freely, more defined by that than by the invitation of Jesus to, to be beloved as a child of God, to walk into the goodness of the kingdom that is not based primarily on our circumstances. What role has my ego been playing in interactions? That's a huge question for do I want to be made well, because often we're very stubborn inside. At least I am. I'll talk about myself. Um, very stubborn inside for, for change, and I just want to justify all of my attitudes, all of my uh, mental conversations, everything like that. So what role has my ego been playing in my interactions with other people? Am I guarding myself because of my ego? And what stories do I tell myself regularly that aren't actually true? This is a really hard one. I'm not even going to comment on that. I'm just going to let that one sit there. I tell myself a lot of stories sometimes. What stories do I tell myself that aren't actually true? So these are just questions to help us be in tune to what God might be wanting to say and speak and invite us into and what our own lives might be, uh, what, what might be getting in the way, the gunk um, for our spirit right now. The things that, that in the season of Lent God wants to kind of break off and tear away. Um, all right, friends, there's no timeline, there's no formula for stuff like this. This isn't a flashy message at all. Um, there's no timeline on when, it's, when you're supposed to be healed. You know, it's, it's, we have to trust Jesus, but we must start a season like this by hearing Jesus say, do you want to be well? Because sometimes we don't even know how to answer that question. So, um, what might keep you poolside? And what might keep you lying down when Jesus is standing and squatting beside you and saying, I want you to stand with me. I loved that in that depiction that Jesus comes up and stands along with him. Not standing over him in that moment when he gets up. They're both rising together. That, I guarantee you that was an intentional directorial choice. Directorial choice? I don't know. Um, director's choice. So, all right. So let's just take a moment and let stuff settle. Jesus, uh, in the midst of a story like this that might bring up some things, um, but also in a story that's ambiguous uh, for our own lives, I pray that you would bring some clarity into the specific areas that you might be inviting us to name. I pray that you help work on us, soften our own hearts and spirits to the areas that we might not be able to answer that question, do we want to be made well? so that we can feel your compassion and love and walk toward healing during these days. Amen.